You have dominated your current market. And every other household has your product in their home. And that jingle you wrote is stuck in everyone's head. However, sales have started to stagnate a bit. You realize it's time to scale and open up the market, but you're not just thinking to the next state or the next region. No, no, no. You have your eyes set internationally. However, as you start to do your due diligence, you start to see words like tariffs, NAFTA, and what the hell is a brick country? You start to wonder if it's even worth it. Then you remember a certain Latin phrase, Aldoches Fortuna Juvet. Fortune favors the bowl. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life. Let's begin. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own luck, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. Hi, right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. So today we're going to talk about exporting your product internationally. So in the first segment, we need to talk about some of the things you need to do to prepare for uh, export it internationally before you even ship that first box. Next, we'll focus on the different approaches uh, that you want to take, whether it be you know through an intermediary or you want to do it uh, directly yourself. We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll take a break, and then we'll talk about, let's say you just want to start an import-export business, some of the things you uh, may want to consider or may want to uh, export, if you will, that may do well and maybe not so well, Startup Nation. And then lastly, we'll talk about some of the countries that uh, some in the past have done well exporting from the United States into certain countries and what those countries are and some things to look out for in those countries. Startup Nation, I've been a bit sick lately. And so uh, Kenta had to come in and step in for uh, for you guys last week. And, I, and it sounds like she did a phenomenal job. I just want to say thank you for accepting her uh, into the Startup Nation. Uh, I told you in the first episode that she'll be popping in, in and out, but she really stepped up in a really big way. And so I hope you really got great value uh, from her last week. And forgive me, Startup Nation, I'm still trying to get over a cold. Uh, so if you hear me clear my throat or something, uh, that's why that is. But anyway, uh, but without further ado, let's take flight. When we're talking about exporting your product, there's a lot of research and a lot of data points we need to uh, do our due diligence with before we ship that first box. Because the thing is, is that when you're starting to delve into the international waters and putting your product out there, some things that works in the United States don't necessarily work in other countries. From packaging to colors to a whole multitude of things, even the name of your product itself. For starters, uh, when Coca-Cola decided to get into the Chinese market, uh, they had to kind of you know change up things a little bit and not necessarily call it Coca-Cola but something else because for some reason Coca-Cola translated to Mandarin or Cantonese, if you will. I guess I'm not sure which one. It translated very closely to bite the wax tadpole, and you don't want a soft drink company being associated with like a tadpole swimming around in a bottle or something, do you? Of course you don't. 
And so those are just one of the things you have to be uh, mindful about when you're sending your product or your service for that matter from time to time, but more so a product uh, internationally. So that brings me to my first point, the name of your product. Like I said, it may work here in America, but, you know, you know, whether it be, you know, to Mexico or maybe not so much Canada, because Canada, you know, has, you know, French and uh, English speaking uh, countrymen for the most part. Uh, but for places where that's not the case, um, you have to be mindful of that. You don't want to, you know, like, you know, here's another uh, example. For example, uh, when Chevrolet uh, started to import the Nova, the Chevy Nova down in Venezuela in Spanish, Nova literally means doesn't go. So think about a car company called, you know, with a car called the Chevy Nova. And in that country, it translates to don't go. You're probably not going to buy that car. So you have to be mindful of that. You know, I'm not going to say language barrier because that, that, that has a negative connotation. But what I am saying is like you have to be weary of, you know, those language differences and how certain things does not directly translate from English to Spanish, from English to Russian, from English to Arabic or wherever the country you're deciding uh, to export to. Another thing you want to consider coloring of your packaging, the color scheme of your packaging, if you will, because the thing is certain colors uh, in, you know, in certain places mean different things. Now, a kind of a, you know, a, a safe bet to go is, is if your packaging of your product uh, maybe is somewhat similar to that country's flag. I'm not saying it's foolproof startup nation, but what I am saying is that like there may be uh, a, a very safe bet to go if you're thinking about packaging and color scheme when you get into a new country, because nine times out of 10, that country is okay with the color scheme of their flag, which means nine times out of 10, they're going to be okay with the color scheme of your packaging if it well, as well, if it matches. And the thing is, is that, uh, certain colors that work here in the United States, no, or I'm sorry, certain colors that may not work here in the United States may work just fine uh, in another place. For example, the color red here in the United States, a lot of times is often related to uh, danger or something to that regard or something bad or warning or whatever the case may be, unless you're Coca-Cola and you do a really good job of branding and this, that, and the other. However, in China, uh, it's a little bit different. So the color red means good luck. And so when you have Chinese New Year, uh, that's why everybody wears the color red and that's why they give out red envelopes uh, for Chinese New Year. So just keep in mind that in regard. Also, another color, uh, the color black. Uh, the color black in the United States, a lot of times when it comes to like business and marketing, speaks to a, a certain level of elegance, a certain level of uh, credibility, a certain level of you know stability if you will. However, in Africa, certain color, you know, when you use black in certain instances, it can mean death. So once again, you have to be mindful of that. Like even in Korea, a lot of times, not just Korea, but a lot of places where I know here in the United States, we wear black to funerals, but in Korea and in India and other places, not just in you know Asia and Southeast Asia, but in other places, they wear white to a funeral as kind of a renewal or rebirth, if you will. So be mindful of certain subtle things in your color packaging, Startup Nation, when you're talking about exporting internationally. Another thing, Startup Nation, to be mindful of is to be mindful of not just the color, but the labeling and the packaging itself. So like certain images or phrases or whatever the case may be, needs to be taken into account. For example, 
let's say, you know, on your packaging here in the States, you have like a smiley face or something, right? Well, internationally, uh, certain places take, you know, conducting a transaction very serious. So you don't want a smiley face uh, during, you know, during a serious transaction. Nine times out of ten, it's going to throw that person off or the very least is going to dissuade them from not buying your product uh, from you. Another thing, Startup Nation, is that like certain hand gestures, right? So like, for instance, here in the States, uh, a thumbs up is a good thing or the the OK sign that you use with your hand is an OK thing. However, in other uh in other cultures, and I can't remember off the top of my head, forgive me, Startup Nation, doing the thumbs up symbol or the OK symbol is is an act of aggression or it's very disrespectful uh, to the people in that area. So like I said, Startup Nation, when you're trying to do business internationally, you really want to do your due diligence. You really want to have you know some focus groups, some boots on the ground. If you will forgive the boots on the ground, it's kind of a it's a military thing that's kind of been ingrained in me. But you want to have people uh, there who know the culture, who are aware of the culture, uh, and where you're trying to get into startup nation. Also, think about the size and quantity of your product. A lot of times uh, here in the states, we we tend to go big or go home, right? So, for example. Um, like our medium sized cups and our large size cups, like when you go to fast food restaurants, believe it or not, <laughs> to world standards are quite a big. Unfortunately, here in the United States, we're kind of a wasteful country. And so we have, you know, we tend to have excess of things or excess of things. And we go, you know, give me the super size this or the extra large that. And so a lot of times, you will find internationally that they don't have those same standards. For example, uh, the Japanese are are very big on efficiency, and so a, a lot of times something that's you know probably medium sized to us is like large size in Japan or large size in Europe. Uh, there's uh, the example that like uh, let's say a, a Whopper, for example, right, or a Big Mac, if you will. For us, that's enough for one person, and some of us. Uh, unfortunately, maybe down two, three Whoppers or two, three uh, Big Macs. But believe it or not, somewhere in like a France or Japan or something like that, one Whopper or Big Mac is enough to feed two people. And so be mindful of, you know, your your weights and your measurements and how much you put into your packaging. So, for example, let's say you, you're selling a soft drink like a Coca-Cola, right? And for us, you know, here in the States, you know, the standards like what a 20 ounce bottle. Right. And so maybe if you want to ship to Japan or sell in Japan, you may want to go to a 15 ounce or 14 ounce bottle. That's one of those things where you would have to, you know, ask around, you know, get some items from Japan to see what those you know, packaging standards and uh, size standards look like. So that way you can be successful in Japan or wherever else you're trying to go to. Startup Nation, forgive me. I'm still trying to get over that code. But you want to be mindful of those things uh, when you go to those uh, different countries and try to sell your product. And also keep in mind, Startup Nation, that we're one of the only few countries that uses the measurement standards that we use. A lot of times, you know, the metric system um, is kind of considered the global standard. And so seeing as that we're Americans, we try to do things a little differently. So we use yards and inches and stuff like that, but they use like meters and centimeters and this, that, and the other. So be mindful of that when you go into other parts of the world. That's why 
uh, if you if you're like me and you like sports and you watch the Olympics, everything is in meters. So it's like the hundred meter dash or the two hundred meter dash or wherever the case may be. That's because for the most part, everywhere else in the world, they use the metric system and they don't use like the inches and yard system that we hear you that we use here in the United States. Another thing you want to be mindful of, Startup Nation, is that uh, if there are country that you're trying to import to requires a dual language label. What I mean is, is that a lot of times, uh, for instance, like I mentioned in Canada, uh, they require a dual language label, which means that and you may be wondering what other what other language they speak in Canada. Well, they, they not only speak French, they, I mean, they not only speak English, they also speak French as well. And so in Canada, when you have the, a product or something like that in, you know, in place, you have to have the English version and the French version on 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 that label, on that packaging. And so you'll see a lot of times uh, around the world that that's required. Now, I will say this. There are generally three business languages internationally. They are English, Japanese and Mandarin. OK, so keep that in mind. So, you know, English is kind of, you know, a, a fair standard across the board. Uh, that could be in large part because there's a large English speaking population in the world. It could be because the United States is, you know, is you know, has the largest economy and most of us speak English. Uh, we're too lazy to speak a, a, another language. I'm only joking. That may be why that is. And so just keep in mind to wherever you're trying to get into, uh, you know, you have to be mindful of that that label packaging to have you know the dual languages now sometimes depending on the the country uh that you're trying to ship to that you know may deem that it's a great market it may be a language you're not familiar with like for instance if you're trying to get into sweden you have to have a uh, a swedish finnish dual language label right so you want to be mindful of things like that but you know also you know like i said definitely want to uh know the the country you're going into and the language dual language labeling requirements that that country requires another thing is also to remember the units per package because believe it or not certain numbers mean certain things to certain groups of people okay for example here in the united states uh, seven and 13 are, are, are seem to be lucky like there seem to be lucky numbers right for all of you who go to casinos from time to time you probably know what i'm talking about but in in japan however uh, the number four is equated to a sign of death. So let's say you have, uh, let's say you want, you make bubble gum, right? And here in the States, for whatever reason, you decide to have four pieces of bubble gum in a package. Well, you may want to add a piece if you want to ship to Japan or take away a piece if you can ship into Japan because the number four is going to be marked, you know, as a sign of death and like, well, nah, if I eat this gum, I'm probably going to die. And so you don't want your customers thinking that like, look, I get that. It sounds ridiculous. OK, but you have to be mindful of those cultures and those differences when you're trying to ship your package internationally. Otherwise, it just won't do well. I know it sounds silly to you, Startup Nation. And unfortunately, here in the United States, we tend to think things that are different from our customs and culture as silly. But if you're trying to go into somebody's house and sell them some, you need to be mindful of those house rules. It's just that on that. Another thing Startup Nation to be mindful of is like if your product is one that requires an electro uh, to be plugged up into the wall, you need to be mindful of 
each country's electrical standards. More specifically, the prong system that they use when plugging into the wall. Uh, it wasn't until uh, I went to Mexico for the first time where I had my stupid American moment where, uh, now granted, they had some stuff for, you know, the particular, you know, rent, you know, for uh, American guests, you know, to plug their stuff in, to charge their phones, laptops or whatever. But they also had other electrical systems to where like you had like five prongs coming out or, you know, or six prongs coming out. But the thing is that like if you're if you're a customer in say I don't know Indonesia can't plug into their wall, that's gonna be a problem. So you want to be mindful to convert your uh, electrical uh, power outlets to that country's uh, electrical standard for plugging things into the wall. I know I'm probably sound like an idiot right now, but uh, and forgive my ignorance on you know what that uh, that system is. But you know what I'm talking about, where you plug into the wall and you have the different prongs. Like here, primarily, you either have two or three for the most part. But some places have four or five, or not just necessarily four or five, but like the three, they may have three and they're in totally different places, right? So you want to be mindful of that startup nation as well. Also, you want to think about how you want to handle uh, guarantees and warranties and customer service and this, that, and the other, uh, you know, because maybe you speak Spanish, maybe you don't. Maybe you speak Swedish, maybe you don't. And so you want to be mindful how you want to handle those things because just because they're in a different country and keep in mind, like, don't get me wrong, like people love, you know, products and stuff from the United States. They do. Okay. It's part of the reason why we have the largest economy on the planet. A large, another reason we have the largest economy on the planet because we can kind of, you know, sell to ourselves, but that's a whole another discussion for another day. But people from other parts of the world do like American products. However, you want to be mindful that, you know, they're, you know, they're still people and they still have their differences and they still have their certain, you know, things that they like, dislike or whatever case may be. Just because you just shove it in and put a, you know, that is from America doesn't necessarily mean they're just going to automatically like it. So, you know, if you have like a customer complaint, you need to be mindful of those things as well, because those things happen. You can't go into business only assuming just the positive stuff. You got to go in and assume the negative stuff as well and try to be mindful and be prepared for those things as well. Also be mindful that um, whatever you're selling or whatever you're trying to get across to your uh, your target audience in a particular country, be mindful of the environmental effects that it may have on your product. You know, whether that is, a you know, uh, you know, humidity, energy costs, poor water systems, extreme hot or cold temperatures, poor infrastructure. You want to be mindful of all of those things because, you know, it can really affect not just your product itself, but how effective your product is. And so, you know, if, if you have a situation where your product requires, you know, uh, a decent amount of water, whatever that may be, and the, uh, you're trying to sell to. Uh, a place, you know, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times in the in the uh, African countries where the uh, there may not have a, a proper pro uh, plumbing system or a proper water system or poor water, uh, so, you know, quality. Uh, it, it may be a situation where that product may be right for it. Now, don't get me twisted. I am not one of those people who are saying that, you know, all of Africa is like, you know, this third world country. It is not. There are some places in Africa that are extremely beautiful. So I don't want anybody from Startup Nation to come after me and say, you know, I'm trying to say that all of Africa is like this third world country. That is definitely not the case. There are some places in Africa that are just absolutely magnificent. But what I am saying, you have to be mindful of places, 
you know, uh, that are like third world countries, unfortunately, a lot of times in Africa, but also in Europe and other places. But you have to be mindful of, you know, those things because your product may not be the best fit for uh, people in that uh, country. And also, Startup Nation, be mindful of the uh, country of origin. So, for instance, let's say let's say you you do business in the United States, but your product is is made in China. Okay. And so you're trying to sell in, but you're trying to sell in somebody who is not a fan of China, okay? And so a lot of times countries require uh, a statement of origin uh, document to go along with your product. So if it's a situation where your product is made in China because it's cheaper for you and your profit margins, but you can't sell to uh, South Africa, hypothetically. Uh, let's say South Africa hypothetically has an issue with China. And so you're trying to sell into that market. And so they see made in China product like, no, 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 no. We don't do business with China. No, we're not. We're not accepting this. And so now you're, you know, you're out of the loop as far as trying to sell to South Africa based on that reason. Um, so those are just some of the things you need to consider when you're diving into a new country uh, to try to sell your product. Now, Startup Nation, there's a couple of ways you can go about starting your you know your exporting venture uh from your business now it's one of those things where it's like there are no right or wrong answers it just depends on uh your company what you're willing to invest you know risk tolerance all that you know all that jazz right and so a lot of times you can do like indirect you know or direct approach or whatever a lot of times people do indirect where they find uh they they sell their their pat they fill their orders with a domestic buyer and then that person does all the overseas work and uh in this that and the other and they handle all the risks and they handle you know tariffs and the purchasing this that and the other because once you're once you fill the product with the person domestically your job is done there are two different types there's export trading companies or export management companies where they, they pretty much like once you get the stuff to the dock, your job is done. You got your check. You go on to the next thing. Right. But the thing is, is that keep in mind, you know, those companies, they can mark up the price and this and the other have a profit higher, a higher profit margins this, that, and the other. And so because like I said, once you drop it off at the dock, they take care of the rest. And so your product is international, you know, this, that, and the other. It's just that you're not dealing with all the, you know, the boots on the ground and the, the language barriers, this, that, and the other, right? Well, you, you're preparing some of that stuff on the front end, right? Like we talked about the the plug in the wall and this, that, and the other. But outside of that, they're taking care of the tariffs and the, and the you know, and all that other stuff for you. Now, a lot of people are doing, you know, uh, the approach where they go through the e-commerce way, right? And so where you still have to be responsible for shipping, but you know all this, everything else is already pre-negotiated. Where they go through Alibaba or Amazon or eBay. That's also another way to get into uh, the exporting market as well. Now you could do it directly, right? And you know, like I said earlier, fortune favors the bold. But be mindful that you're going to take all of the risk. Like you're going to take all of the risk because you're you're taking care of everything. You're trying to make sure if you need to, you know, to have a field office there. You know, to do stuff, you know, locally, you need to understand if, you know, there's a language, you know, issue that you need to take care of. If you're going to do it directly, you you have to be responsible for all of that. OK, but on the flip side, if it goes well, you get all of the profit margin and this, that and the other. There's no in-between person, intermediary to go to. So you're taking all the risk, but you're getting all the reward as well. And so it, it, it depends on 
like I said, there is no right or wrong answer with this. It depends on your risk tolerance, how much you want, how much time and money you're willing to invest. And the thing is, you uh, there are uh, state uh, state commerce office. There are state commerce offices and there's the U.S. commerce office where they can help you make that decision for you. Uh, Startup Nation, they you know go through. Uh, who you can sell to, who you can't sell to. And that's another thing, Startup Nation. There are certain countries you cannot do business with. For instance, uh, for the longest time, it was Cuba because of the trade embargo. You know, and I think those those things are starting to kind of unthaw. And there, there's limited things you can do now as far as doing business in Cuba. Uh, also North Korea, you can't do business with North Korea. Also, Iran is another place where I think you know, I think the tensions are thawing a little bit, but I think they may be going back to revert based on the current administration's policies, this, that, and the other. But just keep in mind, Startup Nation, like, like I said, there are certain places you cannot do business with, okay? So, you know, you, you know, and if you get caught doing business with, that's kind of a seen as a somewhat of an act of treason. And you don't want you or your business to be <laughs> associated with that word under any circumstances whatsoever, right? Also, I mentioned earlier... Uh, NAFTA, uh, which stands for North American Free Trade Agreement, right? And so what that is, is an agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico, where they have like tariffs, uh, fees, and this, that, and the other, already pre-negotiated for certain items, and this, that, and the other, you know, with currency, this, that, and the other. So that way, it makes for the, our, our three countries to easily do businesses, business with one another, okay? So that's one of those words I threw out earlier as well. And I also mentioned uh, Brick countries, and also there's another one called Mint countries, but we'll get into that a little bit later, Startup Nation. But um, keep in mind that, like I said, if you want to do business internationally, uh, you can do it directly, or you can go through an intermediary where that person, uh, you know, is uh, either uh, fill orders, you fill orders for the domestic buyer, and they ship it off, and and they sell it, you know, at whatever price they want, or is a domestic person to where they represent foreign buyers, foreign end consumers, to where they you know represent them, and then you sell it to them, and then they sell it to their people, this, that, and the other. Or you can do the, the direct approach where you can do all that stuff yourself, but keep in mind, you have to be responsible for more of that stuff. The intermediaries take care of majority of it for you, but if you want to do it directly, you're responsible for all of that. High risk, high reward, but hey, you know this lifestyle, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. I hope you're getting great value from today's episode. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life.
are a teacher looking for great resources, look no further than our Teaching with Al section of our website. Enjoy great lessons such as our mini lesson for the story of an hour or dive into the Nixon presidency as part of our legacy series. Enjoy great peace of mind from our units as they are Common Core aligned. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So uh, let's say, you know, you don't have a business, but you want to start an import-export business. So that's what we're going to talk about in this segment of the show. Some of the things that you, you know, uh, maybe uh, quite profitable and not so profitable if you want to kind of do a, a, a import-export business. So one thing that is quite profitable uh, for import-export business, and the thing is a lot of the stuff that I'm naming, uh, um, they're profitable for this very region. They're very low cost, but they have very high profit margins, okay? So it's like they don't really cost a whole lot to make. And so when you're exporting, you know, that that's a plus. I mean, business is a plus anyway, but definitely you're exporting because the thing is like those fees and tariffs can really cut into uh, your profit margin. So these are why some these things I'm about to name are really good for an import-export business. Uh, technology accessories. Now, what I'm saying is not necessarily smartphone, laptop, computer, things of that nature, but the things that complement those things. Like, you know how some people have like stickers on their laptop or some people have like phone cases, whatever the case may be. These are really good, you know, high profit margins for uh, an import-export business because the thing is, like I said, they don't really cost much to make, especially when you make them in bulk, right? We talked about uh, in previous episodes the economies of scale. The more you make of something, the the the, the cost is spread out over you know how much you're making, which means the profit margins are higher. So things like sm- you know, smartphone cases, uh, laptop stickers, credit card scanner, like did you plug into your phone to take payments? That's something that does really well. That uh, you know that complements a smartphone. If you're you know selling to small business owners around the world, that's something that can be very uh, profitable for them as well. Also, um, smartphones. Now, I, I know what you're thinking, what I just said, as far as like not necessarily, you know, laptops, this, that, and the other. However, um, a smartphone is actually, you know, a smart play in global economies. And this is why I say that. The thing is, places like um, Australia and India and places like that, that, you know, and even China for that matter, the strength of any economy no matter what country, is the middle class, okay? And so when you have a growing middle class, you know, they are going to want certain things, certain amenities in life. And so a smartphone is one of those things where uh, people in India, people in, in China and Australia, this, that, and the other, are really starting to be purchased by a strong and growing middle class. And so a smartphone is actually a good play if you're trying to do an import-export business, uh, as well. Now, another thing that does well are home accessories, soap dispensers, uh, toothbrush, toothbrush holders, uh, you know, candle holders, this and everything in between, or, you know, uh, paper towel holders, right? Once again, very low cost, very high margin. Uh, because the thing is, that's not one of those things where that'll ever go out of style. A lot of people like to have the efficiency of a soap dispenser or a, a paper towel holder or uh, you know, things that make, uh, you know, your bathroom smell nice or whatever the case may be. Those are things that are kind of, no matter what part of the planet you're living on, that, those things are kind of universal. You like things to smell nice, right? With that, you know, also uh, beauty products 
are, are another great profit margin, you know, purchased in salons or beauty boutiques and this and the other. You can have a considerable markup on profit. And, and once again, uh, beauty products is one of those things where you can make a, a, the, a batch of the lipstick or whatever and you spread it across the different tubes or whatever. That can really stretch your cost a long way, which means your profit margins uh, have a lot of room to grow. And, and, you know, like I said, make money for sure. Believe it or not, outdoor games is another one that's really uh, good. You know, because the thing is, things like, um, like uh, not necessarily football. Football is kind of more so of an American construct. Uh, but things like soccer. Soccer is a huge one across the world. If, if you're one of those, you know, companies that think about importing, exp you know, uh, exporting soccer balls, you could do really well because it's the world's number one sport, and it's also very cheap to play. All you need is a ball in the open field, basically. And so, a lot of times, outdoor games like soccer and badminton can be really uh, profitable because, like I said, like it doesn't really cost much for people uh, to play, even if you, you know a place where it's not highly industrialized like the UK or France or Russia or something along those lines, you can do really well with outdoor games, uh, you know, items or sports games items in an import-export business. Now, some things to uh, maybe steer away from uh, Startup Nation are, one thing is computers. The thing is, is that if uh, a computer is manufactured a one way, it's usually manufactured a way of the home country, right? And so let's say if a computer is manufactured a way here, United States, and you're trying to sell to Indonesia, it may not translate over very well to Indonesian customers, okay? So you want to be mindful of that. Also, furniture is very risky as well and it's more so because like furniture tends to be really big and bulky uh and so you know it, it's one of those things where uh when you're trying to put in those shipping containers those big shipping containers it takes up a lot of space which means if it takes up a lot of space is you know your profit margins are going to suffer because you can't get you know more and more into that container okay you know think about it just opposed to a smartphone Think about how many, you know, love seats you can get into a container as opposed to smartphones, okay? You can get, you know, a thousand times more in a container as opposed to like a couch and love seat or whatever, right? Also, clothing as well. Uh, believe it or not, uh, clothing is one of those things where, uh, unfortunately, in, in you know, unfortunately in the world, we have a lot of people who like the pirate stuff and copycat and, you know, and we have a lot of bootleggers out there and it can be copied very easily. And so clothing um, can be, you know, can be a, a, a bit problematic if in an export import business. And unfortunately, you know, we hear a lot of stories that come out of uh, places like China or, uh, or Nigeria or wherever the case may be, where a lot of times um, things are copycatted or pirated, you know, or bootlegged, if you will. And, and they really reduce the margin of the original because people think, you know, they'll just buy this when they could have bought the original. And so be mindful of that. Also, video games, and it works the same way. When you have games on a disc, they can easily be, uh, you know, uh, you know burned to a different disc. You know, you have one game burned to a thousand more discs. And so that can really hurt your business uh, as well. Also, uh, jewelry can be problematic as well. A lot of times people... Um, you know, copycat jewelry as well. It can be quite unprofitable uh, because, you know, once again, just like the, the clothing 
and the uh, video games, people tend to bootleg stuff like that, you know, where you think you're getting the real deal McCoy, the real McCoy, and you're actually getting cubic zirconium or whatever the case may be. I don't really roll jury like that, but you kind of get the idea of where I'm, I'm getting at. So those are some of the things, like if you don't currently have a business and you want to start an import-export business, those are some of the things you want to be mindful of uh, that, you know, could give you an idea on what you want to sell, what you want to, you know, what you want to export and sell, profit margins and profitability and things of that nature. And lastly, Startup Nation, before we cut out for today, I want to give you an idea of some of the countries uh, that, you you know, you could probably do well in in an import-export business. And so earlier I mentioned the word BRIC country, and that's uh, it's an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, and China, okay? And they also have something called MINT countries as well, which stands for Mexico, Indonesia, Nigeria, and Turkey, okay? And you're going to hear me mention some of these countries uh, in, in the list I'm about to give you. But um, what, what what those countries were designated as or designated as now is that like certain countries that are have up and coming economies where once again, where I told you the strength of any economy speaks to the growing of its middle class. And so those are countries where they have a growing middle class uh, really right now being powered by millennials as they're becoming to uh, becoming working professionals and this and the other. And so those were countries that were deemed uh, as growing economies and could be really profitable or really good uh, export partners uh, if you're looking to span into the, uh, the international markets. Now, granted, I will say you have to be mindful of certain political you know, uh, goings on in those countries. I don't need to tell you about Russia. I will just say Russia is what Russia is, um, as you hear in the news cycles and this and the other. But I also add the caveat that they had have had a lot of um, sanctions on Russia uh, as well to where um, you're, you're very limited on what you can export there. And also they're very limited on what they can buy as well because Russia has been hurting as well. But Needless to say, it is a BRIC country, and so it is one to keep in mind as well. Also, the same thing in Brazil, where you've had, uh, you you do have a growing middle class, but you do have a very large uh, portion of that country below the poverty line. Now, granted, you've seen where they've, you know, had the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Olympics, and I've always been one of those people where, if you want to know how well an economy, a local economy, a, a nation's economy, does any other, look at some of the extracurricular things they have. For example, you know a New York has a great economy because it has two football teams, two baseball teams, uh, basically two hockey teams. You get the idea of where I'm going with, right? Basically two basketball teams, right? And so you know you have an idea of where that economy is as opposed to say. A Salt Lake City where they only have the one basketball team or you place like uh, a Toledo where it has no basketball teams or professional sports leagues or whatever. So be mindful that that can be a great indicator for the most part uh, of where a country is. So a country like Brazil having the World Cup and uh, the Olympics, you know, in uh, two years apart speaks to where people think about Brazil, this, any other. However, there have been some political strife based on those two very things, but also Brazil's economy 
uh, is very heavily tied to oil and this, that, and the other. And with oil being cheap lately, uh, crude oil being cheap lately, you know, by the barrel, uh, that uh, Brazil has suffered a bit. But there are still opportunities in Brazil um, as well. But with that being said, like I said, you know, here are some of the countries that you may want to consider um, when you're talking about import and export. Once again, we talk about NAFTA, so uh, Canada and Mexico. They are great partners. For starters, you don't, you know, uh, we have that trade agreement with NAFTA, even though I think it may be getting renegotiated soon. But think about it logistically. As a, you know, it would be it would cost you a lot less to ship to Mexico, even with NAFTA not being in place. It would cost you a lot less to ship to Mexico as it would to ship to South Africa. Right. Because, you know, you don't have to really go across the water. Right. It, it, it could be a you know not a day's drive, but it could be done, you know, with, with a, uh, a shorter distance, if you will. And also Canada as well. Canada could be a great place for you to export as well, not just because of the agreement, but just simply due to location. So other places we talked about, we talked about Brazil uh, as a could be a good trade partner. Colombia is also a good trade partner as well. A lot of, there's a lot of different pockets in South America that could be made for a good trade partner for your business. It's one of those things where uh, it's one of the it's the third largest uh, economy in in South America. And is you know they have you know transitioned to uh, from being very regulated to a very free and open free market uh, economy. And, and if you don't know this startup nation, this is kind of why we have this show. This is why um, uh, uh, the economy does so well here in the United States because we do have a free trade uh, economy. There are regulations because you need to have rules in any game that you have. But uh, Colombia has kind of adopted that you know free trade model, which has allowed it to kind of to kind of boom as well. Some of the things that does well uh, in Colombia: security services. Uh, I you've seen Narcos. I don't need to tell you why security services would probably do well in a place like Colombia. But also transportation consulting as a booming economy. They're looking for people who know well about transportation and infrastructure, uh, technology, data processing equipment, and other services as well. And to kind of give you an idea what kind of works well in Brazil, because I, you know, forgive me, I didn't go by that. Agricultural processing equipment. You know, a lot of times, one of the biggest exports that Brazil has are bananas. And so, you know, be mindful of that. Also, consumer products, computers, IT products, and services. So those are some of the things that does well in uh, Brazil. One of my favorite economies to kind of follow is India. Prime Minister Modi has done a magnificent job in trying to spur growth in India and understanding that, you know, the power of a billion people in one country and understanding that, that that middle class there with a large part of them being millennials is growing. And he has done really great things to accept that. And he understands that, like, you know, that generation is going to be the one that powers India into that next level of economy, into that next level of your Japans, into of your uh, Chinas, of your United States, to be in that tier of economy in the world. And so, uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of India and its economy. A lot of times people compare Prime Minister Modi to uh, Barack Obama because of his enthusiasm, his yet and the other, and his ability to inspire young people. But that's a that's a very good marketplace, I believe, you know, to get into with your business. Education services does really well. If you know anything about Indian culture, you know 
that education is a big part. So education services, you know, like us, what we do in ours, this and the other could be really beneficial in a place like India, industrial textiles, food processing, cold storage equipment. If you know anything about India, India, if you've seen a movie like Slumdog Millionaire, you know that like things like refrigeration, you know, can be quite lacking from time to time in certain places uh, in India. So keep that uh, in mind. Also, uh, electronics, clean energy, pollution control equipment. Once again, as that economy grows its middle class, it's starting to have a middle class that use certain amenities. And so they're starting to kind of be a kind of American, if you will, to be a little wasteful. So uh, pollution control equipment and be, you know, and uh, also growing economy start to buy more and more cars that we're having that in China. We're having that in India as well, where a lot of that middle class are starting to buy purchase cars as opposed to taking rickshaws and cabs and this and the other there in India. So that's something to be mindful as well. I will say in India, it's one of those countries where it's one country, but there's multiple languages spoken in that country, right? So you have Tagalog, you have, uh, you have, you know, Arabic, you have, you know, you have English as well, but just be mindful. It's one of those countries where yeah, it's one country and they all fall under the Indian flag, but you have a multitude of languages being spoken in that uh, country. Another place, um, and, and keep India is one of those those brick countries that I mentioned earlier. So to go to a, a mint country, Indonesia. Indonesia is one of the largest economies in Southeast Asia and it has the world's fourth largest uh, population. And a lot of that population, once again, is under 30. And so you want to be mindful of that booming, growing middle class, which is why Indonesia could be a great uh, trade partner for you and your business. Uh, things to consider, IT products and services, financial and banking services. Indonesia has a huge need for banking services because for the longest time, that infrastructure was not adequately in place. I don't want to say that it wasn't in place. It wasn't adequately in place. So a lot of times uh, financial and banking services does really well in a place like Indonesia in order to you know not just for banking deposits, checks, this that, and the other, but also sending money to people as well. Those That's really big in places like India and Indonesia as well. Clean energy, education, and professional training. A lot of times, education services are really big in a place like India, in a place like Indonesia, and even China for that matter, because you're trying to get more and more people to speak uh, English as well. We've sold a, quite a few of our curriculums and lesson plans to uh, places in Beijing uh, for that very reason, because our sometimes our curriculum are used to help people to learn uh, English as well. We mentioned Mexico, part of the North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, like I said, it has a growing uh, middle class, growing millennial base as well. And so uh, things that consumer products, packaging, banking as well does uh, might do really well there as well. Tourism, obviously tourism is huge in Mexico, especially being that, you know, one of the places that United uh, uh, Americans go to, uh, to kind of vacation, if you will, is in Mexico to see Chichen Itza and this and the other, right? So, you know, obviously Americans go down to Mexico for a number of reasons, to get married, to see a whole bunch of, you know, different cultural things there in Mexico. So that's really big in Mexico. Morocco is also another place to maybe think about trying to have a business partner uh, in there in Morocco to have a trade partner and export to Morocco, if you will. 
is one of the first African countries to reach a trade agreement with the U.S. And it is starting to boom. It is starting to embrace the free trade doctrine, if you will. And its economy is growing. Why is the economy growing? Once again, that millennial base is is fueling the middle class. That you know they're starting. You know they're they're very educated, very smart, and they're fueling the middle class. And so you want to be mindful of that. Some of the things that may work well: renewable energy, water treatment, uh, you know, building construction, safety, and security equipment as well. It's one of those things where it's like it's in North Africa, so uh, security services and equipment. Uh, is vital because there are still some turmoil in North Africa in that regard. So you can imagine why you would have something like that in that regard. Nigeria as well is one. You know, it's a uh, a place that uh, is booming as well. It has a growing middle class. Once again, very reason. I, I hope you're starting to see a theme here. That growing middle class with the millennials kind of spurring that growth had a GDP. Uh, in 2009 of 6.1 percent which is astronomical if, if you have an economy that grows like that that's huge uh, another thing about nigeria that you may not know it's home to lagos uh lagos nigeria which is considered nollywood nigeria has out you know uh after hollywood and you know here in the united states and bollywood in india nollywood it's the third largest film industry on the planet. Not a lot of people know that, but it has a very large film industry there in Nigeria. Nigeria also, uh, it's very uh, oil dependent as well. Even though they're starting to diversify this and the other, but it is very oil dependent, and so a large part of its economy is dependent on oil as well. Healthcare services, equipment, automotive parts, marine vessels, and financial services. Uh, once again, Nigeria is one of those places where it can be troubling from time to time because unfortunately you do have a lot of those like emails that come from the Nigerian prince and this that, and the other. A lot of fraud, unfortunately, does come out of Nigeria. So if you're going to do business in Nigeria, be very careful about that. Be very mindful. Do your due diligence to the T if you feel like Nigeria is the place for you as well. Staying in Africa, South Africa, South Africa it has always been a very large economy. It's either the second or third largest economy, on, you know, in Africa behind uh, Nigeria and Egypt, uh, as well. Uh, it does really well. It, it's uh, counts for uh, um, uh, 2010. It accounted for 31 percent of the sub-Saharan Africa's GDP growth. So you, you can see that South Africa has a very strong economy. Things that are maybe promising there, transportation, consulting, and services, franchises from various sectors. You know, it kind of speaks to a previous episode we talked about, huh, Startup Nation? And also IT consulting and equipment as well. Also, you're starting to see like a large, uh, a big theme with these burgeoning economies is, to, is it has a lot to do with tech. So as a country starts to kind of emerge as a, uh, as a as a force economically, they're starting to require certain tech advancements, and so you're going to see that. Uh, you you probably start you see that uh, kind of throughout this segment. Turkey is another growing uh, economy as well. Once again, has a very strong middle class. It's the T in mint countries, right? So Turkey, tourism related products and services, and also consumer products. Once again, not along with tech, consumer financial services is one of those things where it is starting to 
be warranted in a place like Turkey, in a place like Nigeria, in a place like India for that regard. Vietnam is also another country that you need to keep an eye on that you may want to consider as having a trade partner. It has a growing GDP. It has a growing middle class. Once again, being spurred by millennials. Okay, some of the things that may be mindful that you may want to be mindful of plastics and equipment, machinery, education services, IT and hardware services, franchising, waste and water management. So those are some of the countries that are deemed kind of up and coming economies that you want to be mindful of uh, as, as they continue to grow your business and scale internationally. And so these are some of the marketplaces that could be very profitable for you and your company. Hi, Startup Nation. There were some things in my notes that I completely omitted that I wanted to get out to you in the very first segment. Another thing you want to consider when you're talking about exporting your product from your business uh, abroad is to always keep in mind currency standards and currency levels and currency values juxtaposed to the American dollar. A lot of times, uh, like I said, those things fluctuate and you need to be mindful of the currency of the country you're trying to export to. But you also need to be mindful of certain uh, uh, major currencies. For instance, the European, uh, the euro, and also the U.S. dollar, and also the yen, and, 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 and things of that nature. Because the thing is, like, yeah, I know we may be proud to have a strong U.S. dollar backed by our strong economy. But if you have a strong U.S. dollar juxtaposed to maybe, say, a weaker economy or weaker economies, you know, currency, that can be problematic for your business. Think about it. So, for instance, let's say we, you know, we have a strong U.S. dollar and we're trying to export something to India, which uses the currency of the rupee. Right. And so you have the strong U.S. dollar and you're proud of a strong U.S. dollar is that and the other. But that can be problematic. Why can that be problematic? Well, think about it. If the U.S. dollar is strong. That means that it would take more Indian rupees to purchase your product, you know, based on the U.S. dollar being strong. Right. Which means there's less profit margin for you and there's less likely that people in India are going to want to buy your product. Forgive me for a minute earlier, um, but I always try to make sure I, I you know, I always try to make sure I empty the cup. Every time I talk to you, Startup Nation, I want to make sure I give you everything I got. So forgive me for forgetting that, but I'm trying to make up for that now. But anyway, so Startup Nation, just be mindful of currency levels and uh, currency values as you continue to export internationally. So here's my final take. Growing your business internationally, it, it takes a lot of work. It really does. But if you think about, you know, where you want to be 10, 15, 20 years from now as a company, you know, you want to think about what economies are starting to grow around the world, just like we just discussed. You also want to be mindful and consider culture differences, language differences, and all those other things, right? And also you want to be mindful of if you want to do directly, do that, you scale that yourself, or get an intermediary, kind of an ETC or EMC, like a exchange company or you know a foreign trade company to do that business for you. I will tell you that if, if you want to do it directly, Please go to your local state or federal commerce office. Have talk to a commerce agent. They are mindful. They are well versed about 
different hot spots for your business, for not just for your business, but for your product or services that could do you know well. Now, they're not going to give you the golden key, right? Like they're not going to guarantee that your company, your product or service is going to do well here, but they can be a guiding light and they can really put you in a really good place to succeed uh, as you scale your company internationally. So once again, do your due diligence. Make sure you have the right product and services for uh, that company, I mean, sorry, for that country that complements what they're trying to do. And if you do that, Startup Nation, I think you can do well and export responsibly. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you got great value from exporting responsibly. We, we like to think outside the box, Startup Nation. And I know this episode was really technical, but I hope you got some great value as you consider to uh, not just scale your company, but scale your company internationally. If you want to let us know what you think about the show or would like to advertise on our show, send us an email using the address in the show. Notes. Subscribe to The Startup Life as it can now be heard on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, The Startup Life.